morning, church. Always, always super excited to be with you guys, my church family, Grace Bible Church, this morning. One more shout out. Listen to me, guys, watching on TV, out in the foyer, here in the sanctuary. If you not have not registered for the men's retreat, do it. Come on, you can do it. You will not regret it, I promise. Men, man up. All right? There's a table outside. You can get information. You can actually register today, right now. All right? Sounds good? Yeah, that sounds very exciting. You know, today millions of Christians all over the world celebrate what is known as Palm Sunday. The triumphal entry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he went into Jerusalem. It is a week that we call Holy Week. Semana Santa. Passion Week. I remember growing up, I used to love going to church this one Sunday in particularly because they would give us these little palms. And all through the service, what I would do is try to make this little cross with this little palm as perfect as I could make it. And I look across the pew and I find somebody who would make it even better than me. So I do it over and over and over again. Those are my memories. Not paying attention, but just doing the little cross with the palm. I also remember watching The Passion of the Christ for the first time. Did you know that movie came out in 2004? And the first time I ever watched that movie, I was not a believer. I knew of the story of Jesus Christ. I knew what it meant to kind of know who he is, but I did not know him in a relationship like I know him now. And when I watched that for the very first time, I remember going, man, I feel bad. That was pretty bad, all the suffering that guy went through. But really... I didn't watch it with passion. Now, I remember watching it again, this time as a believer. And this time I saw it totally different. This time I had passion. And I didn't say, oh, man, I cried. I cried like a baby. And I remember saying, that should have been me. That should have been my family. And Jesus did this for me. And so I teared up. I had passion. I'm sure you guys know what passion means. But let me tell you what Webster says passion is. The definition of passion according to Webster. This is what he says. Passion is a strong feeling, especially one of anger, one of love, or desire. He goes on and says that passion is an emotion, an intense striving, or overmastering feeling or conviction. That is passion. And again, I think we all know what passion means. As a matter of fact, I know that most of us are passionate about something. What are you passionate about? Think about it for a minute. A lot of us are passionate about sports, about a certain team. I'm passionate about the Steelers. I think everybody knows that. But let me ask you, when it comes to your passion, where is your passion really at? Let me ask you more specific. Are you passionate about, let's say, your job? Are you passionate about your spouse? How is your passion, passion towards your kids? How is your passion 
for Christ. See, I think a lot of us, when it comes to our passion for Christ, it varies. And here's what I'm getting at. I know some of you sitting here watching on, out on TV, your passion for Christ is not really a passion. You are just there like I was before I trusted Jesus Christ. In other words, I knew of him, but mm, it wasn't really any passion. I think for a lot of you sitting here as well, your passion for Christ is way up there. You love him. You feel him. Your emotion towards him is like none other. But if we're honest, I think for most of us, when it comes to our passion for Christ, it fluctuates. Sometimes our passion is way up there. When God is answering our prayers the way we want God to answer our prayers, boy, is our passion up here. Yes, sir, I'll go to church as long as you keep giving me what I want you to give me. But the moment, the instant that our prayers are not answered the way we'd like our prayers to be answered, our passion goes way down. Sometimes our passion turns to anger. And we're saying, nah, God, you didn't answer the prayers the way I wanted you to answer my prayers. And so it fluctuates depending on the season, depending on how he is being the God we want him to be. Nothing has changed, church. As we're going to see today, as we open up God's word, 2,000 years ago, the people that cheered Jesus on as he walked into Jerusalem, their passion one day was way up here cheering him on. But days later, their passion completely turned and they hated him. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to Matthew. We're going to be looking at chapter 21 and we're going to look at the events that transpired on that Palm Sunday over 2,000 years ago according to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible underneath your chair. We are going to have the verses on the screen behind me like always. The Gospel of Matthew, verse 1, chapter 21. And this is how he begins. He says this. As they, and he's talking about Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Now he says, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. So this event, the triumphal entry, all of the four gospels mention this event. Now, some uh, authors of the gospel put some stuff that others don't. For example, the gospel of Luke mentions this. He says this, that Jesus entered into Jerusalem through the east, the east gate. He says he went and took a road through, a road through Jericho, which was through the east. All of the gospels don't mention who these two disciples were. Now, I'm going to mention this because some people believe that God's word contradicts itself. And so some people say, well, 
How could Matthew says that there were two animals that Jesus missioned these two disciples to get, and all of the other three only mention one? See, the Bible contradicts itself. It doesn't, church. There could be a simple explanation to this. Now, Luke mentions something. He says that the cult that Jesus was about to ride on was a baby cult, never ridden on before. So maybe one of the explanations that we can say to those that say the Bible contradicts itself is that mama donkey needed to go with baby donkey. Ay, how cute. Maybe that's why. Or maybe, maybe there were two animals and Jesus rode one of them halfway there and the other one the other half. All to say... That God's word does not contradict. It is inerrant. So Jesus has an approach that says, look, two of you go in there and get what I told you to get, a colt. Now if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Why does Jesus send these two disciples on a mission? Matthew tells us in the very next verse. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. He goes on and says this, say to daughter Zion, which is another word for Jerusalem, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. And on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why does Jesus do this? To fulfill a prophecy. As a matter of fact, we see that Jesus fulfilled thousands of prophecies from the Old Testament. And here's how Zechariah writes his prophecy of the king to come into Jerusalem. You see this in Zechariah 9.9. This is what Matthew is quoting in his gospel. And here's how it reads. It says this, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a cult, the foal of a donkey. Now, when people read this back in ancient times, they would probably be thinking to themselves, really? A king? A savior? Riding on a donkey? That is unheard of. That's not usual for a way to a king to come into a city, into a town. As a matter of fact, one commentary says this. It was not the normal manner in which the kings arrived, for they usually came as conquerors riding on horses. A colt was a symbol of peace. See, Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that day, lowly, humble, on a colt, bringing peace to the city. But take note of this, church. The next time Jesus comes into Israel as king of kings and lord of lords, he is not going to be riding on a donkey. He is going to be riding on a white stallion. And he's going to come in not to bring peace. He's going to come in to judge the world. He will return. And that's why he fulfilled all the prophecies we read in the Old Testament. And that's why he's going to fulfill the prophecies we read in the New Testament. He goes on. Matthew does, and he says this in verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees. Most likely there were palms. 
and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna means save us. Lord, save us now. Please save us. So they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. And they shouted again, Bless is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us. We need salvation. Hosanna in the highest heaven. We need to pause for a minute and see what's going on in the background on this story that we're reading. Now, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem like millions of Jewish people were coming in during that time. They were coming in to celebrate what's known as the Passover, a huge feast that the Israelites would celebrate. And once a year, they bring in their sacrifices, all their lambs, and bring them before the temple for that sacrifice. And so you had millions of Jews, Jews that lived in Jerusalem, Jews that lived around in Galilee who would come. But you also had just people who had heard of this Jesus who was doing these great miracles. As a matter of fact, not long before, Jesus had risen up his friend Lazarus from the dead. So people had heard and they were flocking to him, wanting to see who this Jesus was, wanting to see what this Jesus was all about. But one very important observation we need to know is that the people there, the Israelite, the Jewish community, knew their Bible. They knew their Old Testament. And so they knew the prophecy of Zechariah. But they knew more than what we just read. Here's what Zechariah says in Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 10. The complete prophecy, if you will. It says this, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious. So they're saying, this is it, guys. This is the one that Zechariah told us about. He's coming in righteous and victorious. He goes on and says, lowly and riding on a donkey. Yep, he's on a donkey. He looks humble enough. We're getting it. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be, bow will be broken. Victory is ours. He's going to come in to offer peace. We're going to overtake the Roman Empire. That's why the people were shouting what they were shouting. It's done. It's here. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. We are now going to be the ones in charge. So that's why they shouted, Hosanna. That's why they said, yes, Victory is ours. It's finally here. No more oppression. And so when they put their cloaks in front of Jesus as he rode in, they were symbolizing this is a chosen one. This is the son of David. This is whom we've been expecting. And when they raised their palms up and put them on the floor, it was to symbolize victory. That's what they were shouting, victory. So at that moment, on that day, on that Sunday, their passion for the Messiah who would come to save them was way up here. He is the one. He is the one we've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. Save us now, Jesus. Matthew concludes and he says this in verse 10. And so when Jesus entered Jerusalem, again, he entered from the east. The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Some people didn't know who he was. Again, some people were just following Jesus because he had done all these great miracles. And the crowds answered, this is Jesus. This is the prophet. 
This is the anointed one. This is the one that's going to save us. This is the guy who comes from Nazareth in Galilee. And so that's what transpired the first entry that we read about of Jesus into Jerusalem. Here you have Jesus entering through the east. Now, the entrance of the east into the city of Jerusalem was a common entrance. Everybody would come in through that gate. But not, I believe, not soon before, there was another person that entered into Jerusalem. But not through the east. He entered through the west. And that west that west entrance was only supposed to be for those that were in charge, for rulers, for kings. And I believe maybe days before Pontius Pilate entered into that same city, but boy, did he enter totally different than the way Jesus did. See, Pontius Pilate came in the way people expected a king to come in. Riding on a horse, standing proudly, with shining armor, with chariots all around him, with armies on the side and in front of him. Totally different than the humble entry Jesus came in on the other side of town. I also believe, and I know this to be true, that the reception that Pilate got was totally different than the one that Jesus got. See, the people were shouting to Jesus, Hosanna, victory is here, save us. Because they wanted salvation from the guy that was entering on the opposite gate, Pontius Pilate. Two different entries, two different people, two different receptions. Days later, those two men stood in front of the same crowd. But this time, that crowd that was cheering, Hosanna to Jesus Christ, he's here. That word, passion for him was way up here. No. This time, they weren't singing and yelling Hosanna. They were cheering and yelling, crucify him. Kill him. Now their passion turned from that of love to that of anger. And they were telling Pilate, kill him. Crucify him. See, why? Why did the people, the same people that days before were worshiping and praising him and saying victory is here, why did they turn their backs on Jesus? Because the moment that Jesus didn't come to save them from their agenda, from their problems, from overturning their political issues, at that moment when Jesus didn't accomplish what they wanted Jesus to accomplish, they turned their backs on him. See, Jesus... Jesus came in the triumphal entry and the crowd wanted him to triumph over political rule, to triumph over the Roman Empire. They wanted victory over the political oppression. They wanted salvation from their pain. But Jesus on that day came not to triumph over politically. He came in to triumph over death. See, they wanted victory from political oppression, but Jesus came to bring victory over sin. And we know what happens. Pilate tortures Jesus, and he's hung on the cross. And the same crowds that were cheering him were now mocking him. As a matter of fact, we read that they put a sign where it says, here is the king of the Jews. 
And Jesus took the last, his last breath and said, it is finished. His mission, his triumphal entry was done. And I'm thinking that on that moment when they saw Jesus, the crowd saw Jesus, they probably said, see, he's not the one that, we, that was, was told about. He's not the true prophet that we read about in Zechariah. So they were saying, man, it's a good thing you're dead. You're not victorious. And I'm pretty sure that the enemy, the devil, was saying, yes, victory is mine. <laughs> but three days later, we're going to celebrate next Sunday as Jesus took not his last breath, but another breath. And he rose from the dead. Victory was his. And victory is still his. He came in church for that victory, a triumphal victory to conquer death and sin once and for all. That's what we celebrate today. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. Passion. Passion. Again, passion is defined by Webster as a strong feeling, especially of anger, love, or desire. Passion is an emotion, an intense, driving, or overmastering feeling or conviction. I asked you in the beginning, where is your passion for Christ? How do you worship Him? Is it really a true Hosanna? What do I mean by that? Do you worship God no matter what? Or do you only worship God when you want salvation from your personal problems? Do you worship God only when He's doing things that meet your agenda? Or do you worship God for who He is? See, a true Hosanna, a true worship, worships Him for what He has done through His Son at the cross. And we tend to worship God to fix things here and now our problems to be resolved. And that's not what God's word says. That's not his promise. Nowhere in scripture does it say that he's going to save you from your finances or he's going to save you from your struggles or your pain. Not in this life. That's for sure. But Jesus does promises, promise us that when we trust in him, when we put our faith in what he did on the cross, the wrath that you and I deserve from God for our sins is taken off. And there we can have eternity because of what he did. And one day, one day there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sin. And that day is when we see him face to face. See, salvation from Jesus was from the wrath of God, not from our struggles in life. Here's what God's word says. And here's my sermon point for you this morning. I hope you can remember this. This is why Jesus came. Jesus saves me to eternal life, not from worldly strife. He saves us into eternity, everlasting life with me, with him, not from our problems in this world. Jesus saves me to eternal life, not from worldly strife. That's his promise. Mel Gibson in 2004 made this movie, The Passion of the Christ. 
Do you know why he named it Passion of the Christ? I think I know why. See, passion, the passion of the Christ, Christ's passion is you. The passion that Christ has for you and for me is like none other. He died for us. That's true passion. So why don't we have the same passion towards him? I know it's impossible. Why don't we just worship him for who he is? Church, imagine what it looked like individually. Imagine what it looked like as a church family if our worship would not change. If our worship was tr a true Hosanna. Your love and desire will grow stronger and stronger. Your passion would grow stronger and stronger towards Jesus Christ. A true Hosanna worships God not for what he can do. A true Hosanna worships God for who he is. And we worship a God who is the King of kings, Lord of lords. So let's be a church family that worships, worships him with our hearts with true passion, a true Hosanna. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you so much for your grace, for your unmerited, undeserved love that you have for us. And you demonstrate that love in your son, Jesus Christ. Your passion towards us is through your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Father, as we begin what we call Holy Week, Passion Week. Let us draw closer and closer to your son Jesus, Jesus with passion that is a true passion, a true desire to love him. Not one that treats you like a genie. Not one that as long as things are going our way, as long as struggles aren't happening in our lives, we will worship you. No, Father. Let's worship you in the highs and the lows. To prepare our hearts to celebrate the greatest day anyone could ever celebrate, which is Easter. We love you, Father. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you, church.